Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pranica. Then what does that make me? I'm Ben Harrison. My tag team partner in this <laughs> podcast, Legion of Doom. <laughs> you get him dazed by the ropes and I hit him with a folding chair. Well, one of us needs to decide which one of us is outside at the ring, like stretching their arm in to get tagged, while the other guy uh-huh. is inside the ring just getting jobbed by a bunch of folding chairs. Yeah. I feel like the the rules of getting tagged in so often just go out the window in those things. Yeah. Did you ever watch wrestling, like growing up or anything? Was that your thing or no? It was never, like, totally my thing, but there was a period in high school where I uh, made a point of keeping abreast of it because a lot of the kids at school uh, had uh, had thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just, to, just to know what was being discussed at the lunch table. How do you do, fellow kids? There was, like, Triple H and uh, D-Generation X. Oh, yeah. And, and things happening. X-Pac. X-Pac, yeah. <laughs> Remember that guy? You got your X-Pac. You got your China. You got your Triple H. <laughs> yeah, I just remember being, you know, like I've never been um, that strong in any of my personal convictions, but <laughs> just feeling like these are people I wouldn't want in my house, so why am I turning on the television when they have it on? Ben Harrison, not strong enough for Keyfabe. <laughs> I I didn't even like Steve Austin, Adam. Oh, boy. So you must really have some feelings about all the wrestling drops I sprinkle throughout our show. (laughs) Well, mostly they just go over my head. (laughs) Ben, it's one of the earliest pods I can remember recording. uh, It's 8.30 a.m., my time. Comedy o'clock. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty mentally challenged right now. (laughs) <laughs> to bring to bring the funny, so I thought instead I'd uh, I'd totally cop out and go to a letter. What do you think? Letters, we get letters, <laughs> we get lots and lots of letters. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code forty-seven. Verify. It is code forty-seven, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. This letter comes. Oh, this is a paper one. Oh Does yeah. Print out an email at him or no? This this. Uh, this came inside of one of those cardboard postal service envelopes. Un lettre en papier. Sure. It, it came inside a croissant. <laughs> a pain au chocolat. <laughs> Letters from our friend Alfred. Goes like this. Adam and Ben, I discovered your podcast last September while I was listening to another Maximum Fun podcast. And I was intrigued. But I also said, no, Alfred, you already listened to too many podcasts. (laughs) But over a few weeks, the dulcet tones of Dark Materia's music wormed its way into my brain. In an instant, I was hooked. Listening to you guys crack wise about TNG made me laugh out loud while walking my dog and while at work. And it reminded me how much I love Star Trek. In October, things took a turn. After being together for 10 years and married for four of them, my wife left me. After a frantic move and starting a new life on my own, I sank into a deep depression and started to go to some very dark and scary places. Through it all, the only thing that could break through my depression and sadness was you guys and your insinuations of a sinister relationship between Picard and Wesley, Pulaski's (laughs) alcoholism, Riker's sexual prowess, and of course, Uxbridge's thriving real doll business. Anyway, thank you both. Without knowing it, you really helped me get through some dark times. Without you guys making me laugh with your dick and fart jokes, I might not be here today. If you're ever... Oh, man. Yeah. Thanks for all the laughs, and keep up the great work. Sincerely, Alfred. Occasionally, Ben and I will complain about uh, the struggle to keep up with our pace of programming, but man, stuff like this uh, makes it all worth it. Like, to know that the show is, uh, is reaching some people who need it, I think makes a big big deal to you and me ben so 
Thanks, thanks so much, Alfred. Uh, and we're really glad you're still here with us. I mean, I think that um, that's no joke. And and uh, if, you're, if you're somebody that's out there listening that has that struggle, like please, please get help. Like you know, we can we can do our part in uh, giving you something to laugh about, but also like uh, medicine works and talk therapy works, and uh, there's no shame in it at all. So, uh, yeah, like we, uh, we need you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. Um, well, on that note, Adam, do you want to get into the funnest episode of Star Trek ever? Yeah. Boy, (laughs) this this is a real, uh, wing dinger, isn't it? (laughs) Whatever that is. It's, uh, season six, episode 11. Chain of Command, Part 2. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. If you don't remember, this is Part 2 of an episode featuring the Federation's greatest Cardassian diplomat. (laughs) Now in command of the entrepreneur. Ben, I just don't understand how this guy got the rep that he did. Captain Jellicoe, not great at his job. Jellicoe spends most of the first episodes of this episode getting his pants pulled down by his Cardassian counterpart. But before we get to that, we have a cold open that is a scene where they've got the camera on like a crazy wide lens handheld and the Cardassians are administering doses of sodium pentothal to uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And uh, he's letting details slip. Okay, I'll talk. He's not just saying his uh, his Federation ID badge number and his first and last name, as, as I think most POWs are trained to do. He's actually giving his mother's maiden name his last four of his soch. In fourth grade, I stole my uncle back to two and I glued on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. He's, he's kind of <laughs> spilling. Yeah, they, that, that's all you need to uh, get into somebody's online banking, right? It's a little concerning. Um, and he also gives up uh, the names of the other people on his team, which, um, which comes back to bite him in the ass later in the episode. Yeah, that's not a good look. This is a this is a terrifying scene. The Cardassians can can ply him for truth. Hit puree. There's the 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 tension and terror of knowing that Picard is very far from home and basically in a hole where he cannot be found. And then there's the the like compounding part of that which is knowing that the captain of the Enterprise right now does not really express any any compunction about not trying to get him, you know? Like, he is a commanding officer that is entirely willing to have casualties. Yeah. Like, he is Worf's kind of guy. Yeah. And, uh, like, like if, if Picard is, is, is lost to save the Federation, Jellicoe doesn't give a flying fuck, basically. And that's the thing that really works this episode, I think. It would be one thing if it's like, you know, point, counterpoint. Point, Picard's in trouble. Counterpoint, they're trying to rescue him. But you don't get that for a lot of this episode. Like it, yeah. it really seems like he's lost, and no one's even trying. The opening Enterprise scene is is kind of the continuation of the negotiations that they were having in the last episode, and they kind of they're kind of like picking up five minutes before we left off yeah. with this. It's like you know, I think that we can stop this war as long as everybody stops rattling their sabers, and Golomek is like. Then how do you explain the fact that a Federation team launched an unprovoked assault on Cardassian territory less than 14 hours ago? And they're like, <laughs> This gull is right. This gull is right the whole time. Like, Jellicoe has never been right. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and the contrast couldn't be greater. I mean, we've lost a seasoned diplomat, an intellectual, a guy known for making... Uh, smart, reasonable decisions, and we've replaced him with a guy that's all bluster, who's kind of an idiot. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a familiar feeling, Adam. It sure is. <laughs> um, the other thing I loved about this scene, I mean, like, because that as a viewer, you feel very helpless. You know, you yeah. are you are watching the uh, like 
you know, there was the peaceful transition of power, and now uh, people who are unqualified and unprepared to do the job are, you know, learning on the fly. Yeah. Um, but they they still look like the Federation. You know, it's it's Jellico sitting there with Riker and Troy, and we we you know cut across to the other side of the table, and these Cardassians are in these like Batman costumes, and the lighting on that side of the table is very toppy. Yeah. Like the Federation people have nice uh, diffuse light on their faces. You can see their whole faces and they have, you know, the Cardassians have this, this loaf that makes them kind of, uh, they have large brows. And so when you light them like this, they really have skull faces and they're extra, extra terrifying looking. And I don't think that they've really done this lighting on them so far. So it's really startling when you see them. Yeah, I noticed this part as well. Those skull eye holes, they look like they represent death visually. And the Cardassians are right, but they are also acting in bad faith. You know, like they are saying things like, you know, Picard attacked this settlement. And killed over 55 men, women and children. This is all part of a Cardassian plot to sort of extract information that they think Picard has and take over a Federation system, right? Yeah, and his leverage that he's trying to use is like, look, if you just admit that Picard's mission was sanctioned by the Federation, then of course, like, the wartime protections for prisoners of war would be extended to him. That's all you have to do. Yeah, he's basically challenging them to to fly in the face of their Mission Impossible briefing yeah. tape that said the uh, you know if you get captured or or killed, the secretary will deny any knowledge of our, of your actions. Yeah, Angelico just lets the tape self destruct. He's unwilling to admit that at this point. What evidence do you have of that? Angelico is definitely in a corner at this point because the that that leverage would work and. And if it came out publicly that the Federation had done this covert assault, uh, they would look really bad, you know? Like, they would look like the counter to the moral example they're trying to set. So that happens, and the Cardassians leave, and Riker basically what-the-fucks Jellico after they left. <laughs> He's like... I can't believe you're willing to sacrifice Captain Picard's life as a negotiation tactic! The tensions increase to the degree that Jellico has to relieve him on the spot. You're relieved. It's pretty intense. Like, Riker is off the job. For real. I may have Crimson Tide on the brain, Ben, but do you <laughs> think... Do you think Riker at any point considers mutiny? He the, would have the support of a lot of the crew, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem for Riker is that is that Jellico like definitely has the blessing of the Admiralty and the Admiralty does not appear to be nubbined in this matter. He's got Jason Robards on his side. Mhm. Yeah. So, if uh if he creates a hell of a mess, uh the the chances are not great that they'll let him retire early. God damn, can you imagine? Like, I can see the episode in my head where Riker is Hunter. They go to the weapons storeroom. Like, <laughs> they take back the ship. He's got Worf on his side. Yeah. It'd be great. Give me an order, sir. Yeah. <laughs> A warrior's order. Instead, uh, they banish Riker to his quarters. And that is that for a while for him. Back in torture chamber numero uno, uh, Madrid like shows up for work with like a thermos and <laughs> <laughs> like a hard boiled egg for breakfast. Like like the Stanley style screw top, screw top with the uh, yeah. little coffee mug on top. Yeah, he's like, I just sleep, buddy. And, and Picard has been like hung up from the ceiling all evening. Yeah, um, he sort of endured a form of crucifixion where he can't put his arms down. They light Gull Madrid here behind the desk in a really interesting way, and what I believe to be an intentional way. Half of him is warm light, and half of him is cold light. Yeah, it's uh, he's such an interesting character, because he he has decided in the cold open that Picard doesn't know what he was hoping Picard would know, 
You know, like he had a way to get that information with the sodium pentothal. Yeah. And it, it turns from like a mission into just like sadism, right? Yeah. And that's a scary idea, right? Like the idea that a military would have a guy like this who has an office and like people working for him, you know, like yeah. he has guards and a staff and, you know, he's getting he's getting paid every day to just wantonly torture Picard. Yeah, and that the normalcy that you're describing, like of business as usual going on around him while torture is happening in the room, is expressed both professionally and also like personally. His daughter's in the room sometimes, just like hanging out with a family pet. Like the torture yeah. the torture is just a thing that happens in their presence in a very horrifying way. You know, Patrick Stewart gets a lot of credit for this episode and, and well deserved because uh, he is nude for the majority of the episode and, you know, looks worse and worse. Like, I uh, was really impressed with the the way they did the makeup in this. But, you know, his performance gets, like, more and more desperate, but you st- it's still Picard the entire time. It's very much the lettered captain who is making... Uh, is making reasonable arguments against an unreasonable person, like trying to find a chink in the armor of sadism. I think this episode might have the best dialogue of of any episode that I can remember. Everything is so efficiently said and yeah. and stated perfectly. And I don't mean that just for Picard. I mean, Madrid... I mean, Jellico and Riker, like across the board, I, I felt the dialogue was as good as it's ever been. It really sizzles and it's tense without being arch. Yeah. It's operatic without being silly or flashy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. You described the physicality of Picard's performance here. I mean, we've, we've sort of made fun of JL Pipes up until now. He has he's fully transformed in the JL buns. And the it shouldn't go without saying that at this moment in television history it was sort of a big deal to show side buns even. You know, like like the Andy Sipowitz butt shot did not occur that much earlier than this year, than the year that this episode came out, you know? So for a syndicated show to show this this much butt, I think was a big deal. They also show the part of his body where his leg meets his torso, like yeah, like they are centimeters from showing some some knuck, <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, I mean, that's as intimate as a body part gets without being ding dong. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird episodes where you're kind of torn between admiring how great Patrick Stewart looks with his shirt off and the horrid emotions of the scene. I feel the same way when I watch uh, Jurassic Park and they get Ian Malcolm uh, on the table with his shirt off. He's like, he's like, his life is very much in danger from the injuries he's sustained. But you're like, it's looking good. <laughs> Pretty sexy for a chaotician. <laughs> I can see what Laura Dern sees in you, buddy. So the rest of the episode, we're going back and forth. We're seeing Picard diminished throughout and we're seeing Jellico become more desperate in his attempts to I guess stop war but it doesn't seem very clear that that is his intention right I think to a certain extent his intention is to save face either federation face or his own face yeah he is I mean this is a a total type of powerful guy is like it's about the appearance of success rather than yeah. actual measurable success. And like when Riker starts voicing strong opinions against him is when he gets when when Riker gets uh, stripped of his command. I mean, it's because he is questioning the the decisions of the captain that Riker is is taken out of the out of the command structure and Riker's argument is is like as first officer it is my responsibility to point out any actions that may be mistakes by a commanding officer sir yeah the, that's the exo's function from the start safety and well-being of the crew uh check and balance on the captain 
and and it's like commander ranker you are relieved and uh you know don't make me toss you in the brig also smash cut to data walking into the ready room in a red shirt yeah it is very fast and unceremonious sure is it's almost as shocking of a visual as it is to see Jellico behind the ready room desk. Like, yeah. to see someone who's not Picard in command is one form of visual shock, but to see Data in red is almost equal to that. Do you think that somebody in the costume department was like, do you think we can get away with putting Data in a front zip? Because we just need this for like yeah. like 10 minutes of scene, right? Like, yeah. we, don't need to, we don't need to make a full $3,000 exit for him do we that's a big decision (laughs) how long do you think jellico even thought about the decision of who to make as his xo like i think he knew from the start he wanted data to be the guy because data's always on his arm like the entire time he walked the ship with data in the last episode he's Um, he's sort of the perfect choice yeah He's the only one who can keep up with Jellico too, I feel like, because Jellico operates in such uh, a quick and scattered fashion. Yeah, he he is a high-tempo commander. Yeah. I mean, Jordy seems to be, like, down to do what Jellico is asking. Like, Jordy is definitely a character who wears his emotions on his sleeves, and if he's being asked to do something he doesn't want to do, is, like, full of size and, and, and side-eye. Like, that was totally evident in the last episode. And in this episode, he is really, like, marching to Jellico's beat. He's, he's made a decision to just, like, roll with this, um, despite what's happened to Riker and despite his initial misgivings, which I thought was an interesting direction his character went. I mean, maybe they just didn't feel like they had the time to deal with that. Like, this is another argument for the, the three-parter, I feel like. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the crew has a window of opportunity to do the I am Spartacus thing when Riker goes <laughs> down, and that window is lost almost immediately. Like, right. And I think a big part of that is Jordy falling into line. Like, he was, you could count him as part of the resistance in the first half of this episode, and now he's sort of company man Jordy. Yeah. But what's interesting about him and his character in this part of the episode is that he remains close enough to Jellico to be an instrument, you know, to recommend that Riker is the guy to fly a mission later on, like to be in the right position to sort of insert that kind of resistance, I think, I think is good, right? It is. Yeah. And, and I think that if you resist too much, you lose the ability to uh, affect change. Right. He's, he stays in Jellico's good graces. He is trustworthy. It is a guiding principle of a you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. This is when I think the torture scenes sort of take a turn and it stops being any there stops being any pretense that there's information extraction at work. And what Madrid explains to Picard is that uh, they've installed a device in his body. There's like a big scar on his chest. And they've installed a device in his body that will uh, allow Madrid to, like, point a TV remote at him and inflict any amount of pain he wants in any part of Picard's body. Forgive me. I don't enjoy this, but I must demonstrate. It will make everything clearer. All right, thank you guys on The Five, and welcome to Hannity. And this is a Fox News alert. The deal is Picard is going to have to tell Madrid that there are five lights above his desk, when in fact there are only four. I wanted to know more about this controller, Ben. Can you really flip through the scroll wheel and select, like, hand? Yeah, like, how fine? Or shoulder? How finely... Or dick? <laughs> yeah, could you do, like, like pinky finger on left hand? Or is it just kind of, like, regional? Yeah, like, how granular can you get? I don't know. It's sort of an amazing technological feat in a terrifying sort of way. Yeah. Like, all you see is a scar on his collarbone, and that's it. I mean, and, and Picard's no stranger to uh, terrible implants. <laughs> this has got to count as among the worst. Mm-hmm. He had that date in France that one time with that lady. Those are some terrible implants. <laughs> <laughs> that guy playing that uh, 
that dick accordion, <laughs> that dildordian. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, this is a crazy series of scenes because it's it's like such a pointless thing. It's just Madrid working to break Picard's spirit. Say that there are five lights, deny re- deny reality. You know, say two plus two equals five, and you have some hope of this stopping. And like he keeps tempting Picard. It's also kind of biblical in that way, where he he'll he'll say like, okay, you know, this is uh, this is clearly not working. You can take off. Uh, we'll just we'll just do this to your friend, the lady, and. Picard is forced to, you know, turn around and resubject himself to the to the torture because he thinks that he is preventing Beverly from undergoing the same thing. And for Madrid to like ask him to say the words that he wants to stay, like that's as rock bottom as it gets, right? Yeah. Pretty brutal. It's really brutal. There's this this back and forth. It's like Madrid inhabits the good cop and the bad cop at the same time. Like, he's turning on the torture device for hours on Picard, and then he's also giving him, like, the Ordolan breakfast. Right. There's this emotional whiplash happening that serves as its own form of torture as well. Well, and it's really interesting because it it exposes Madred to some... To some like, M- Madred winds up being vulnerable to Picard in this very subtle way that Picard picks up on and uses for all it's worth, which is that Madrid has like transmitted some personal information about himself to Picard and Picard turns that into a status flip. Madrid has been, you know, stepping on his balls and cutting his clothes off the entire time. And Picard, after hearing this story of Madrid's desperate childhood, kind of, you know, armchair psychoanalyzes him and says that he pities him. And that, like, really fucking sends Madrid off the handle. There's a moment here where, you know, between Madrid, Madrid's daughter, and Picard, the daughter takes off, and Madrid and Picard are having a talk about it, and Picard's like... When children learn to devalue others, they can devalue anyone, including their parents. And Madrid is maybe his most furious at this point, and he calls Picard a whole bunch of things, including arrogant. Yeah. And it just made me think, like, that thing where an intelligent person calls someone out on their bullshit and gets called arrogant for doing it. Mm-hmm. God damn it. That is such a fucking contemporary thing, isn't it? It really like, is. Like, don't you call me stupid. <laughs> that is a timeless conflict. And it really, like, made me sit straight up watching the episode. Like, God, this episode is so good. It, it almost throws away a moment like this, and it ends up being like one of the most poignant scenes in the whole thing. There's so much that is predictive about this episode, I feel like. Yeah, how could they know? My love is a the deal on the Enterprise is that they've figured out that there's like some some uh, hull damage on the Cardassian ship that indicates that it's been subjected to a certain type of nebula. And there's one that happens to be really close to the planet that Madrid has been asking Picard about the whole time, Minas Corva. It's maybe the smartest thing that Jellico has done the entire two episodes. He's like, yeah, Jordy, this is some hot some captaining. Sort of- yeah, we need some kind of edge. Is there any way you could tell me where these Cardassian ships have been? Be cool about it. Like, don't be all flashy with the sensors, but, like, see if you can get a read on, on these ships and tell me. And it turns out that they've been in some poopy. <laughs> and they can tell where the poopy came from. Yeah. <laughs> they've narrowed this poopy down. Yeah. Uh, and so this, this is where uh, they realize that they need a a hot fighter jack to pilot the the previa that they're going to send into the nebula because uh, Captain Jellicoe's plan is that they'll drop mines off in front of all of the Cardassian ships that are hiding in wait, waiting to 
uh, invade this planet and they'll be forced to back off slowly. So he's like, he's, you know, he wants Jordy to do it, and Jordy's like, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Jordy has one of the one of the lines of dialogue that I feel like off screen has been said a couple thousand times, which is Man you want is Commander Riker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you want to pierce a warm nebula with with a mine. He's the best there is. Since when is Riker the best there is as a pilot? God, I don't know. Since it's a convenient necessity for this episode. <laughs> if it had been, uh, we need somebody who's great at saucer separation, we we would have had some game tape on that. Yeah, you know, if driving a shuttle was about giving it verbal instructions, <laughs> I think this would be a pretty credible uh, piece of character for Riker. But as it is, he's a great stick jockey. Mm-hmm. Or and pad jockey, as it were. <laughs> It never looks what? that hard to fly these things, you know? They're just, like, yeah. tapping away on those on those glass panels. Yeah, on the Tesla screen. <laughs> yeah. You want to fire up Pandora? <laughs> you like adult contemporary, Jordy? <laughs> what this scene sets up, I think, is one of the great scenes in a two-parter full of great scenes, which is Jellico knocking on Riker's condo door, hat in hand. Is there something I can do for you, Captain? Asking him to go on this mission. And when I saw this episode for the first time, like, as an (laughs) 11-year-old, this totally stuck with me for the rest of my life. The idea that, that there's something that you can do about a power imbalance sometimes. Let's drop the ranks for a moment. I don't like you. Like, in a disagreement with someone... There are times when you can say stuff like this, and it is okay. I don't like you either. And this scene between Riker and Jellico is amazing. They are like swinging baseball bats at each other. Yeah, I don't think you're a particularly good captain. Their assessments of each other's faults are uh, are pretty incisive and on point. Like even even Jellico has some truth in what he says about Riker. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. I mean, I think that Jellico winds up rounding it up to Riker as a bad officer, but it's really just that their two styles are utterly incompatible. Yeah. There's too much humanity in the way Riker operates for it to work for Jellico. He is a total chain of command man. Well, that that underscores even more why he chooses Data to be the XO. Like, there is no humanity in that choice. Absolutely. It is, it's orders and, and by the book. And Riker is in, like, a navy blue power V <laughs> during this conversation. And he, he, like, he never gets up. He remains seated and, and sort of, like, reclined in a very comfortable way. Yeah, the camera never and, pans down, but I totally pictured that he had one foot up on an ottoman so that he could just sh- show a little sack off to, to Jellico. Right, and the composition here really serves their differences in philosophy, you know? Like, Jellico has, has rigidly walked in. He's He remains standing. He remains formal, even though he drops the ranks. Like, And Riker is utterly cool the entire time. Yeah. And Jellico hates as, that Riker is a jazz player. Yeah, for as much as they're like taking the bark off of each other, like they're never yelling. They they never lose their tempers with each other. It is it is cool. Yeah. Really cool. Chilly. Yeah. Ice cold. Riker's point basically is I want you to ask me to do the mission. And Jellico does. And Riker with one of the bigger shit-eating grins he will get on the show is like, I'll do it. <laughs> I like that Riker and Picard are both rocking deep Vs in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Picard's showing a little bit more bun, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, They fly the mission. It's a, a tense little scene, and they they plant mines on the bellies of all of these Cardassian ships. And then finally, Jellico has enough leverage to have a conversation with the Cardassian that he gets the upper hand in. And uh, they talk on the FaceTime. And this is like maybe one of the few like out and out fails of this episode is that the 
bridge of the Cardassian ship is total season one level. Like we don't have the budget to build a bridge of a ship. <laughs> we don't have the budget, or we don't know yet what a Cardassian bridge looks like. Right. So we'll just uh, we'll put up some some sheet metal with a little texture on it, little little design, you know, and uh, give it some moody lighting. But that's as far as we're able to go. It's interesting and disappointing that Jellico gets the upper hand here, not through any sort of intellectual way, but in sort of a warfighting way. Every one of your ships has a mine on its belly, my finger's on the button, and you're in a very bad position. Like, the leverage she gets is mines stuck to ships. Yeah. And, and he's, it is he's, not... like, uh, he's like, one by one, you guys are going to walk out of that nebula, kick your, kick your sidearm across the floor toward us, and, yeah. and, and leave. Yeah, it's a it's an I've I've got a gun to your head. It's not a I I outwitted you. Is Jellico's failure his fault or is it Admiral Nechev's fault for assigning him that mission? Oh, like did she set him up to fail? Yeah, I mean because because as loathsome at times as Jellico is, I mean in the Crimson Tide parlance, he is also right. In many ways, yeah. In in much of his decision making, like I feel like it's a failure of the admiralty to put him in that spot because he is so unfit for it. He is so overmatched at every point. The only way he wins is militarily. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the this is like a very current dilemma, right? Like, do you let the Russians take Crimea and you know not heat up a war surrounding it, or? Uh, is everything a potential prelude to war, which, like, um, you know, both seem wrong and yeah. and both seem right. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. One of the last scenes in the episode is back on Cardassia, and Madrid and Picard are sitting across from each other, and... We know that Madrid- at this point, Picard's safety has been arranged for, but... Uh, yeah, as, as the- sort of a throw-in between Jellico and and the Cardassians, he's like, "Yeah, kick your guns across the way," and then he sort of uh, oh, yeah, oh by right. the ways <laughs> them. Uh, one more thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a it's it's weird because it it just cuts right to Madrid and Picard, and and Madrid is singing kind of the opposite tune. He's saying that the Enterprise is is a it has been scuttled and that Cardassians have taken Minos Corva. And he's basically giving Picard one more chance to make a moral stand. You know, and if you tell me there's five lights, you can, you know, you can have the kind of like gentleman's arrest, you know, where you get to live in the Tower of London and have a yeoman and books and food will be brought to you. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. You'll you'll have a pretty chill life, but you'll you'll be a prisoner nonetheless. It's a very good system. Or, you know, conversely, we can put you in bedlam, and uh, you'll be a victim of torture for the rest of your life. The Riley Factor is on tonight. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> your choice, bruh. <laughs> and it's a you know it's a choice with it. like he as far as he knows he doesn't have any chance of being rescued at this point so there's no there's no downside to breaking but other than just abdicating his own sense of sanity he has the choice of collar in prison basically do you prefer the blue or the white <laughs> and as he's replying the door opens, a couple of Cardassian goons walk in, and they're like, they're like, dude, uh, we got to transfer this guy back to the Federation. Like, why isn't he cleaned up yet? It is so interesting to see Madrid's status lowered. Yeah. He is not the boss of, of that guy. Uh, like, Lomek is a higher-ranking dude than Madrid, and that is fascinating because, like, Madrid seems like the apex of the pyramid for so much of this episode. Yeah, apex predator, for sure. And, and uh, it turns out he's just a middle management asshole. Right. They start hauling Picard away, and he like he he screams at Madrid that there are four lights, and then 
like he just he like bats the the Cardassian's hands away. He's like, I know the way. He walks out. You know, as horrible as all the scenes are between them, I will miss seeing scenes of them together because they are so great. Like, yeah. they're you can't beat the sort of tension that is generated between two fine actors in a situation like this. Yeah, they're amazing. I mean, they're given like incredible dialogue and they are giving very challenging roles, very nuanced roles. And like, they're just so good. They just, they do a great job with it. You get an episode with dialogue like this and then you get an episode before it with like 70 occurrences of ExoComp in it. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Picard is transferred back to the Enterprise. There is the transfer of command back to Picard from Jellico on the bridge. That was nice much, to give him the ship formal. back. And Picard shows up like he's still got the bags under his eyes. He is still a little bit hobbled from his experience. At least he's got that after five shadow dealt with. I liked seeing Picard with a little bit of that beard. Beards yeah, all I mean, around. Season six. It's amazing to think about the time period that that all took place over, given like what kind of growth we're looking at, <laughs> like a week max, you know, maybe five days. Yeah. Would be my guess. It'd take me a couple of weeks to push out that much facial hair. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that you and Picard have precisely the same genetics though, Adam. Sorry now, to say. <laughs> now I'll keep my hair. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the button on the episode is Picard um, kind of wordlessly nods to Troy and she follows him into the ready room. And he admits something pretty upsetting about the four lights thing, which is that before he knew he was going home, he was going to, not only was he going to say that he saw five lights, but that he really did see five lights. There's that intimacy between Picard and his crew that is yet another contrast between him and Jellico, which is all he has to do to get Troy's attention to go to the ready room with him is like a glance. And Picard, you know, is has kind of a reputation for keeping his people at a distance, but it's nothing yeah. like what Jellico does. He needs her in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. And it's great. You know, sometimes he's been a little resistant to mental health help. And uh, in this, he's just like, this is something I'm really going to need. Yeah. Did you uh, notice that they never show the lights in that last scene? So, so like, and, and like my mind goes in the direction of like, they could be adding and, and subtracting lights whenever they want, right? Like they could just replicate a new light and have it beamed up there. That's like meta torture, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's like gaslighting is is like changing somebody's reality in subtle ways to cause them to question their own senses essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I thought that it was very deft that they never shoved a little insert of the lights in there cuz you know, they had that footage but they uh they had the restraint not to do it. Yeah, I think when you're given the choice you just keep the shot on Patrick Stewart. Let it sizzle. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I love this episode. I'm really glad that this isn't a normal kind of episode because I think that this is a tone and a level of tension that so much contemporary sci-fi goes for and never wants to leave. And I like that this is the the salt that brings out the sweet of the rest of the series, you know, like this Mm. is, this is something that can happen in the universe, but is not the routine of the universe. I agree. How about yourself? I think this is, this is as good as this show got in a lot of ways, but for as good as part two is, I still in a strange way prefer part one. And again, I would have preferred a third part. Yeah. You you don't get a few scenes here that I would have liked to have seen. One of them being Riker's side mission to go pick up Worf and Beverly mm-hmm. from the Ferengi uh, freighter. What must that have been like? 
I you would know, love to have just had a scene with Riker and Troy, maybe, uh, while he is relieved of command. You know? Right. Like, what's he going through? How does he yeah. feel about that? Yeah. How yeah, does there's... she feel about that, you know? As a as a crew person who has to serve under Data now, uh, what does that mean to her? A great episode, I feel like, could become greater with a little more shading like that. But there's just no time, you know? If you're committed to a two-parter, this is what you have to do. Indeed, Adam. Like, how scary is it for Riker to get into a Previa, leave the Enterprise as it's facing off against a Cardassian ship, and then just go across the galaxy on a pickup mission, like on a milk run? Yeah. Like, there's a tension in that, too, but we don't get to see it. And, like, the... The despair of seeing a wharf and Beverly far from home after a failed mission. Like, you get a little bit of that in Six Bay when Beverly's on the bio bed. Jellico's like, sorry, Tiger, we really tried. And that's like, that's all of the aftermath of the mission you really get from Beverly and Wharf. You get so little Wharf this episode, too, mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, the inner turmoil that he must feel about leaving a guy behind has got to be so acute. He's got to be destroyed by this. Like, all the little devastations among the crew you could spend a little bit of time with, and I think you could add them up into a level of hopelessness that might equal what Picard's going through while being tortured. But maybe that's just a depth that they were unwilling to to go for on a show like this, and I get that. Worf uh, has a little bit of evident shame in that in that six bay scene, but yeah, mostly he's just a background character. Adam, I read that uh, they they thought about um, making this a three parter with Rascals and actually torturing young JLP. <laughs> I want to say there are four lights. Why aren't the lights flashing? Make them flash! I want them to flash now! <laughs> Send me back to Commander Riker! Yeah, I mean, you gotta really wonder if Madrid has the stomach to torture a child. <laughs> That'd be pretty fucked up. What's that animal your daughter had? I should like to play with it too! Adam, do you want to uh, see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, I think we should do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Sam. And it is for Adam and Brad and Big Rod. The message goes like this. Brad, there are five lights. Ella is the worst. You are still our best friend, Sam, Adam, and Lily. And this podcast was paid for by Big Rod. Thank you, Adam and Ben. What? Did we just take money from Big Rod without knowing it? Who is this Sam? How is, is he? This, how does he have dispensation to give us Big Rod money? Is this one of the many Doohan children? Is this Sam Doohan? <laughs> Maybe we've accepted Big Rod money and we don't even know it. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. We don't have... We're not, like, set up the way a a political campaign is where we can (laughs) vet all of the big dollar contributions and make sure they're not coming from sources that would be embarrassing to the candidate. And, and like, there's a certain amount of anonymizing that (laughs) happens when somebody purchases a Jumbotron. So all all that is to say... As far as Adam and I are concerned, we remain untainted by Big Rod, and if somebody from Big Rod needed a favor from us, we would not comply! I think, uh, I think there's a fair amount of plausible deniability about whether or not we've accepted Big Rod money. Yes. That, that would be anathema to us. <laughs> Adam, we have another Priority One message here, and it is from Plavim. It's for Raz's wife? Oh, no. <laughs> Please be good. Please don't say something awful. In brackets here, it says, please play Barry White type music in the background. And it says. Happy birthday, Claudia. I'll never forget our nights at sea together. Oh, oh. 
now. I'm, like, I'm back off the Razin Plavim train, man. <laughs> that was the entire message? Yeah. God, you know, say what you will about what Raz and Plavim are, how they use our, our message service, but they're very efficient in their messaging. <laughs> yeah. Straight to the point. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and, I, uh, it, and just like that, a new character has been introduced into yeah. the Raz and Plavim-verse. <laughs> Claudia, it's a... The, there's a new star in the Razin Plavim firmament. <laughs> I actually uh, got a tweet from Plavim uh, the other day, and he, he uh, said that his wife has instituted a rule that for every Priority One message he procures, uh, he is obligated to give the same amount of money to charity. So at least there's that comfort <laughs> in this. <laughs> That, that that'll help me sleep at night. <laughs> Good I, thinking. It's just it's just better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, uh, if you have an ongoing personal drama that you would like to have the world know about, you can take that business over to maximumfun.org/jumbotron, where personal messages of the type Raz and Plavim. Enjoy are $100, and commercial messages are $200, and they are one of the best ways to keep the ongoing production of our show moving. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey, Ben. Uh, what's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Take important stuff, stack it up. Doesn't give a fuck, everybody's drunk. And Tasha Yar's getting robot hump. Ben, 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 low! Drunk Shimoda! I did. Uh, it was. This is a very hard episode to find a Shimoda in. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to give it to uh, Gulmadred because there are. More than a couple moments in his performance where he is embarrassed or uh, defied in some way. And, like, the two obvious ones are the one where Picard says that he finds him pitiable. And the other one is when uh, Gull Lamech comes in and and, uh, is like, hey, bub, what the hell? Uh, His his, uh, performance of embarrassment is so good. It's so in character and yet... Country, contrary to everything we know about his character, uh, I really enjoyed that part. And mm-hmm. uh, as as long as the drunk Shimoda is the character having the most fun, I feel like that was probably like the funnest thing to try and figure out how to do yeah. as an actor inhabiting that role. <laughs> uh, how about yourself? I am going to give my Shimoda to Jellico. Um, I think one of the one of the key components to a Shimoda is like the lack of (laughs) self-awareness and I think Jellicoe embodies that uh, perfectly in the moment that he transfers command back to Picard so they've they've done the handshake thing Picard's back as captain Jellicoe stands relieved and he's like well you got your ship back just as good as you left it and then sort of under his breath he's like maybe a little better (laughs) (laughs) and then like and then just walks up the horseshoe into the turbo lift and leaves forever. Yeah, and like that- nobody's, he's not shaking anybody's hand or like <laughs> wishing anybody a, a fare thee well. That little, maybe a little better, was like, was so exquisite. Like that line reading was perfect. It was perfectly not self-aware. Like, like it was coming from a guy who truly believed that and, and couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, but like such a great parting shot too. Like, <laughs> like he as he su- as he lurches his way into the sunset. Like, good <laughs> on you, Captain Jellico. Like, uh, go back to the Cairo. Enjoy the rest of your career. Yeah, thought that was great. Darmok, Angelad, Tanagra. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. 
And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season six, episode 12, Ship in a Bottle. A calculating Sherlock Holmesian character traps Picard and others in a holodeck simulation. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I really don't, Ben. This is one of those ones that uh, that uh, I don't feel like they replay this one very often, either, on the reruns. Huh. So, uh, sort of I coming up blank on this. I definitely remember and like this one. Um so uh, I am looking forward to watching it. Yeah, let's do it. This is let's... this is going to be one of those treat episodes that feels new to me, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's good times. Um, all right, well, that will be our next one. Uh, we should thank uh, all of the people who go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support our show. The people who go to MaxFunStore.com and buy our merch. Um the people who go to gach.biz slash mail and sign up for our mailing list. The people who go to iTunes and leave glowing reviews. We're up over 1,200 now, Adam. We have so many people to thank. 1,200 reviews? It's bonkers. It's bonkers. If, uh, if we had as many reviews as we have paying supporters, we would uh, be nearly double that. So, uh, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. We should also thank uh, Dark Materia for our theme music, Adam Ragusea for uh, 
our supplemental music and uh, our myriad viewers who take to the internet to discuss our episodes. They can do that over at Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen or also on Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. We are not on Instagram or LinkedIn, but we are on Wikia. There's a great uh, Greatest Gen wiki that you can uh, contribute to and read up on uh, jokes if you missed uh, if you missed the introduction of a running character you can like forensically go into what that character's genesis and uh, and characteristics are it's a, it is an amazing resource that we don't deserve <laughs> Ben there's uh, no shortage of podcasts or websites that write about or or review Star Trek the Next Generation episodes but I feel like ours Leaves that universe a little bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like the campsite rule. Yeah. <laughs> or the Captain Jellico rule. So, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is a dream within a dream. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.